Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, founders, and thank you for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Jonathan Damrot, CEO and founder of Cranium, an AI security and trust platform that's raised $32 million in funding. Jonathan, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. Not a problem. So let's just start with maybe a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, absolutely. So today, I'm the CEO of Cranium, and uh, we spun this business out in March from KPMG Studio. We were the first ever technology business coming out of the studio. So this was fun, and it was a great time, and we came out of stealth in April. And so I spent about three and a half years prior to that as a partner at KPMG running a couple of their businesses and third-party security globally security. And then I pitched the firm on Incubating Cranium and did that for a couple of years before we spun out. Prior to that, I was a CEO of a company called Prevalent. So I built a Gartner Forrester leader in third-party risk management and threat intelligence, and I sold that to a private equity firm in New York. So I've had, you know, the ability to work inside of a startup inside one of the biggest firms in the world. And now I'm fortunate enough to be able to take that great fun and knowledge and be able to bring it to Cranium where we have built a platform for securing machine learning and AI systems. And uh, Brett, it's, you know, people have, you know, they want to talk to me about this today. Whereas two years ago when we started this process, not so much. So it's actually a great time to be here and uh, really appreciate having me on. That's a pretty interesting career path. I feel like people would normally, you know, work at firms like KPMG and then go out and become a founder and start a company. But you did the opposite. You started off as a founder and then you worked at KPMG and now you're back as a as a founder. What was that like transitioning to KPMG? Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny when people ask me that question. What do you mean you're going to KPMG? I got a lot of that when I first started there, but I, my experience at KPMG was was great. I know some people think about it differently than I do, but you know, my experience was extraordinarily entrepreneurial environment. I was looking at what I wanted to do after I came out of prevalent. So I sold that business at the end of 2016. I came out in early 2019 and, you know, I was really thinking about different opportunities. So I had raised some money to potentially go into another business and KPMG came to me and said, do you want to run our third party security business and practice and we want to grow this. And they were thinking about me for that. And I kind of said no at first. And then I started meeting with some of the partners and I was really impressed with the level of talent, the innovation that was happening there. They had, you know, I don't, most people don't know they have a thousand data scientists in, in the US. And I met with some of the leaders, uh, some of the other partners like Kyle Kappel and, and others. And I was just so highly impressed with them. They were like me. They wanted to build the business aggressively. They wanted to invest in innovation. And so I felt like it was a good opportunity to try to run something larger scale than I had uh, done previously. And so, yeah, <laughs> I kind of did it backwards, right? But uh, it was in, in this case, it really worked out well. And then I had an opportunity as we were building a lot of AI and ML systems to start looking at this AI security space. And it's interesting. I got to know Steve Chase, who ran consulting. He's now vice chair of AI at KPMG. And I got to know him really well. And, and he said something to me that I thought was very profound. It's like, you know, if you want to solve really, really big problems, there's no better place than a big four. You see 
big problems at the largest scale and you get to get involved in them. And I started seeing that on the, on the machine learning and AI side directly because we were working to build, you know, machine learning into my practices. And, you know, that's really what created this and incubated the idea of what ultimately became Cranium. So for me, it was great. Others, you know, their journey is going to be way different. And I, I don't think it's a bad journey to start as an associate, build your career and, and then go do something else. But I highly recommend startups. Previous CEOs uh, trying to get some of this experience. I thought it was great. Very entrepreneurial. I pitched a lot of op- options and projects and the firm funded them all. So it was great. When it comes to your inspiration, are there any founders that come to mind? Like any founders that you've worked with or you've studied and you followed and you've just been really inspired by yeah. So I think when you look at the founder ecosystem, you know, I've been very fortunate. So when I was running uh, Prevalent, I got to work with other founders and third party and, you know, and I'm seeing that here with other fi security as well. And what was interesting is it felt like a meaningful opportunity to change the way something works. So in the past, I used to work with Alex at Security Scorecard. I used to, you know, work with founders that were in the ecosystem at some of my competitors. And, you know, some people go, what are you talking about? And I go, wow, you're going to name these people. I, I have to tell you, it was a great community to really go solve a problem. And we all came together today. You know, I would call them friends, Tito over at Hidden Layer, you know, Ian at Protect AI. And we think about how do we build a community to go solve these big problems that, you know, I don't think anyone one person or one organization can solve. And, you know, so I've always tried to look at this from a community perspective. And I think those are the founders that when, you know, you need to talk about these things, what's happening in your business. Wow. I just ran into this. They become a really strong backbone for me at least. And so, yeah, I look at them as those that I, I look up to and I, I look at as peers that I can have real conversations with. What about books? And the way we like to frame this, and we got this from an author named Ryan Holiday, he calls them quick books. So a quick book is a book that rocks you to your core, really influences how you think about the world and, and just how you approach life. Do any quick books come to mind? Yeah, I know this is one that I think a lot of people point to, but Man's Search for Meaning for me is one of those books that I think is a relatively quick read, but you know, talks about how meaning is what drives everybody's ability to kind of drive happiness and career fulfillment, but also pushes you, you know, in a way that if you don't have meaning, it's very hard to even get up in the morning. Right. And the, the corollary in that book is that, you know, this was a Holocaust survivor who built this theory and thesis around meaning being that important. And what he saw all around him in the Holocaust was once you lost meaning in your life, even if it was something small, you know, if you were a victim of the Holocaust, it basically meant death. And so and this was obviously at the extreme, but he was able to look at this theory and use it in a way to drive meaning into the rest of his life, both post World War II, but also as he was looking at this across business and working with other leaders and stuff. So I, I like that book a lot. I haven't read that book in probably seven or eight years, but I, I need to go back to it. I remember reading it seven or however long ago and and just thinking to myself, like, wow, this really puts my problems in perspective. You know, all the problems that I thought I was doing at the time, they, they seemed extremely, you know, almost at a shockingly low level. They were, you know, just nothing compared to what he was dealing with. Yeah. And I think it's true every day, right? So I look at it, you know, when we start setting our own goals and have our team members think about, you know, the things that they want to accomplish. If it's not meaningful, right? I mean, Brett, you probably feel this too. If it's not meaningful to your life, it's really hard to push through and do the really difficult things that are necessary in order to achieve the type of achievements that most of us want to achieve, right? So 
you know, to be at that level, it has to be meaningful. How do you define a meaningful life? Yeah. So for me, it's interesting. I kind of bucket my life and, you know, we talk a lot about work life balance. For me, that, that equation has to include my family. It's always family first, right? But my family's so integrated into the ability for me to go do what I do in my business as well. So my wife, Alana, three daughters, and, you know, they are the centerpiece of what I think about when I think about meaning. And then when I think about my business, you know, being able to solve really big problems that if we're not here and we're not part of that solution, really, really bad things happen. And especially when it comes to AI security, compliance, transparency, you know, we're going down a path where if we don't get this right, where all those people's fear, you know, well, I've never seen more fear around any type of technology than AI. And Brett, you've probably seen this in, in your conversations with others as well. But if we don't solve this the right way, this fear will manifest into something really bad. So I feel like setting up those guardrails is a meaningful exercise, being able to provide capability and solving this problem with the community, and then being able to develop solutions and products for our customers that do this at scale is probably the most meaningful thing that we can do. I feel like when we have craniacs working on this, being able to help solve this, we've been able to attract incredible talent. But yeah, it's really those two buckets for me. It's family, it's solving big, meaningful problems and doing it at scale. Well, that's a perfect segue as we dive deeper into the company. So I know you just touched on it a little bit there, but maybe if you can just expand on it, what does the company do? Yeah, so Cranium was incubated to solve a couple of problems. So when I started talking to organizations about this, I saw it directly in my practice, as I mentioned, right? You know, I just couldn't find anybody who was talking about security, even though we were taking the most sensitive data, putting these through models that we were developing, pushing them through endpoints where, you know, people were making really, really big decisions about their supply chain. And so I've started having conversations with a lot of security professionals. And so over maybe the course of a couple of years, I spoke to probably a hundred CISOs and I couldn't answer the question. I couldn't get a positive answer to the question of how do you get visibility into the machine learning and AI systems, whether those be kind of enterprise AI or gen AI that's happening in your organization. And so it just didn't exist. Like these security professionals are so focused on other areas and other priorities, which they absolutely should, because that that's what was impacting them. And so we basically built our capability to really help solve that problem. And we've found that there's kind of four key areas that organizations really need to think about at a high level in order to solve for the majority of their AI security challenges. The first one is, you know, discovery, which is visibility and the ability to understand the risks that are happening based on the use of AI and ML in your environment. And so we started there. We also built an engine for adversarial risk. So what we found was that people didn't even have an understanding of the lexicon, right? So things like backdoor detection or data poisoning, model poisoning, model evasion. So, you know, in addition to being able to understand where AI was being used, organizations as they started to mature really need to understand those specific threats to their AI systems. And we started building capabilities around how to effectively protect and monitor against those things. We found very quickly, and this has been happening at warp speed, that the compliance and regulatory environment is going very quickly around AI and ML. So this year we also launched something called AI Card, which enables organizations to automate the compliance and transparency of their AI systems against things like the EU AI Act, 
uh, missed the Irish Mandarin framework, the initial iteration of that hit in January. And so being able to really quickly understand how an AI system complies with those uh, requirements, as well as potentially internal requirements that are, are being set up through the AI governance community. You know, we built it so that it could effectively give that visibility, provide that to clients, provide that to regulators or to other stakeholders internally. And then we use the same technology because what we found also was that AI is also a third party risk. In some industries, they're not, they don't have data scientists, they don't have ML ops, they're using Gen AI services or they're using other AI services. So we use the same capability to basically, we turn it on its head so that you can get that from a third party and supply chain perspective. So those were the four pieces. It's, you know, visibility and discovery, monitoring for adversarial risks, compliance around your AI systems and transparency, as well as third party and supply chain visibility and risks. What's the market category here? Is it AI security or is it something else? You know, a lot of people would argue with me here. Um, I think what we've seen now is the term AI has become kind of a catch-all for machine learning, uh, deep learning, as well as what we would define as kind of AI moving forward. And so we look at it as AI security as the category. And, you know, I think that persists well. Uh, There is some confusion right around that when you talk about like the use of AI in cybersecurity. So when we think about AI security, it's really using, it's securing the AI itself. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. When it comes to making this category real, evangelizing it into the market and making sure that when people think AI security, they think Cranium, what types of activities are you currently doing? Yeah, it's interesting. So we have been working really hard to make sure that, you know, from a category perspective, we have good consensus. So we've done work with the ISACs and the Global Resilience Federation recently to develop a set of practitioner guides Guides. We've done that in collaboration with uh, KPMG and about 20 other organizations. And that got published over the last two months. And we, you know, we just came back from the GRF AI security summit. And so I look at those resources and what we did is we got organizations like uh, Microsoft, MITRE, CISA, uh, it was run, you know, with Wells Fargo, you know, obviously I had my team involved. We had Johnson and Johnson and a group of others. So it was really cross-sectional across industry. And, you know, we started asking questions like, how are you thinking about this? What does the AI governance look like? How do you think about the components as a practitioner? And it was an amazing opportunity to work on it from a community perspective and then bring together these, these two really, really powerful guides. So that was one thing that we did over the last few months. And I think we started that about seven months ago or eight months ago, even when we were incubating. And, you know, as we think about marketing Cranium, you know, it's how do we bring that thought leadership our enterprise clients that they need to get done and the use cases. So you'll see a lot more around those pieces. I think you're going to see this. How do I even understand what my AI environment looks like? How do I understand the threats to that? How do I make it super easy? And, and we're going to continue to push on that. 
Talk to me about the headshots. I saw that you and your co-founders all have very cool art design or graphic design headshots. What's the backstory there? Yeah, we want to do something cool, right? You know, we're an AI company. We had our original headshots that we had put on the website and we said, gosh, these don't look great. We don't like them. Let's use AI. So we ended up using PixArt for that. And we put our, you know, what's fun about that is you basically send your, your pictures to PixArt and it comes back with like 200 different options. And some of these are crazy, Brad, like superhero pictures. One was on the beach, you know, with like this Hawaiian shirt. My wife helped me pick the one I used. She thought it looked the most like me. That wasn't getting too crazy. And we wanted to have fun with it. And we've actually got a lot of play with it. You know, it's using AI in unique ways. And in this case, you know, helping us tell the story, right? So it, it was just a fun way to kind of let people know who we were, make it a little bit more fun. That's awesome. What are you doing to rise above all the noise that's out there? AI is obviously a, a very noisy space. There's a lot of funding that's gone into AI over the last year or two years. So what have you done or what are you doing to really rise above all of that noise? I think we want to have really strong clarity around, you asked me about the space. I think we're working hard to make sure that people, you know, fundamentally understand how AI is being used by their organizations, where the boundaries for AI security and safety are, how do we make sure that the regulations are tight? And I think in doing that as a community and bringing our products and making them usable and scalable for the largest enterprise customers who have been our design partners, you know, we had to meet really strict standards at KPMG for both software development and security as well. And so we're putting together all the things that, you know, are super important to our clients and trying to give clarity and a capability that allows them to answer the question today, not having to wait two years from now, but answering the question of, do I know how AI is used in my environment and is it secure, compliant, and do I know and I understand how we think about the supply chain of AI? I think in the very near future, Brett, you know, and we're talking months, not years, if you can't answer those questions, you're going to have a problem, especially given all the investments in AI, because there's so much over trust today and the regulations are hidden over the course of the next six months in such a way that you're going to have to do these things in a way that you haven't had to deal with them in the past. And so where we believe we can play and where we're really focused is making sure we can address those customer needs today with the best product, with the best team. And our marketing teams are working hard to make sure that people know who we are, that we're out in the marketplace, and that it's easy to use and consume our products. And I, I think that's all we can do, right? I think that our customers are going to define whether we're successful. The market, you know, is going to do what it does. I think we are going to educate, try to educate that market and try to keep this as streamlined and easy to consume as possible. How much of that education extends to regulators? Or are you actively engaging with regulators and, and trying to help ensure that they understand the, the true power of this technology? Yeah. So we have had a number of different discussions with different members within the government, whether that be statewide or federal. We've worked with some other organizations who have, you know, different people talking about AI security. I'm on the road all the time talking to, you know, not only them, but also directors and organizations who now have to think about these things. And so, you know, our goal is to try to inform make sure people understand the, the challenges, the threats, the risks of these, and then, you know, be smart about, you know, how do we regulate here and how do we provide solutions here 
so that, you know, people can actually continue to innovate appropriately. Because part of this is, you know, AI is just a wonderful capability. And in most cases, if you build AI and ML systems appropriately and you do it the right way and it's for good and you're solving big problems, we can do things that we could never have imagined in the past. We just have to do this the right way so that we don't start seeing those uh, more doomsday-based questions that are popping into people's minds. And I think there's a way to do it. And so we want to make sure people understand that way, how to build those guardrails. And I think we're part of that solution. Do you worry at all that regulators are going to kill innovation here? Absolutely. And I think the problem is when you see lumpy regulation, right? So the EU is, has already taken a stance and they've approved the EUAI Act, and that's going through the process of now coming into, you know, a place where it can be enforced and they've already put dollars aside for helping drive enforcement of that, which I think starts to take heed in the next 18 months or so. The problem in the U.S. is you're going to see this very similar to the way that kind of GDPR versus some of the state side privacy regulations work like CCPA and others, is that if we're not careful, it can become very bifurcated in terms of like, you know, how do you solve for the state's specific issues and they're not aligned. So I think in this case, the White House has done a relatively good job of bringing people together and having the large technology companies come and speak to them. I think we're going to have an opportunity with some of our peers to have a voice in that equation as well. What are the security implications? What are the threats that they don't want to talk about? How do we make sure that our voice is heard in that? And I think there's going to be some additional federal regulation here coming. There'll be some additional executive orders around this coming over even over the course of the next month that I think will be helpful as people are starting to plan here. But when you start seeing a lot of that regulation, whether it be in Europe, in the US, in China, when you have certain countries that aren't going to regulate, it starts to create challenges. So like India has already said, they're not going to regulate AI. They're hugely regulating privacy. But, you know, when it comes to AI, you know, there's going to be no regulation. And they've said this publicly because they believe that it will create innovation challenges for their nation. And so I'm not sure, Brett, what happens, but that seems very lumpy. So if I'm a company and I'm building a new AI system, where am I going to do that? And, you know, we'll see how that plays out, but you're probably going to do that in a place that isn't as regulated in a lot of cases, right? Have you watched the Bill Gurley talk? 2,580 miles, something like that. No, I'll send it to you. It's just about, um, about regulation in the United States and the, the, you know, big companies really want regulation and they're pushing for regulation because it really benefits them. And then, you know, the small companies kind of get worked out of the market. I'll shoot it to you after the uh, interview. It's a, it's a pretty fascinating video. Well, and I think that's potentially the harm here, right? So if I've met with a ton of investors over the last several years, and I couldn't find any software investor that hadn't invested. Like if you think about the last five years of investment, almost every investment in for if you were a software or technology investor was an AI investment over the course of the last several years, right? And so we're, we're now feeling that <laughs> hitting us all at once. And so these are still small companies comparatively, right? And so we need to continue to enable the ability for that investment to drive innovation in a meaningful way if it's just left up to the largest companies. Unfortunately, I think it won't keep up at the same pace. So I, I, I would love to read that. <laughs> yeah, send that over. I think uh, we feel that today. Yeah, I definitely will. As I mentioned there in the intro, you've raised $32 million to date. What have you learned about fundraising throughout this journey? Yeah, so we hit an environment where I think you would say over the last decade, we hit an environment here that 
you know, has been pretty problematic for fundraising generally, right? Valuations have been, especially for those that are re- raising, you know, series B and beyond. I think there's been a pullback in not only the amount of capital, but also where that's going. And so we find ourselves somewhat in a unique position, Brett, that, you know, we're at the intersection of cyber, which I think has continued to be a place of investment and AI, which we've never, this has been unprecedented. I like the level of investment in AI this year. And I think last year has just gone really, really up into the right. So that intersection, I think for us was beneficial as we were going into our fundraising process, especially as we were coming out of KPMG, we could show, you know, not only that we had given this a lot of thought and we had great design partners, but that, you know, we would have something of tremendous value as people were now trying to figure out their own AI strategies. And so, you know, we got preempted in our Series A, which um, Telstra Ventures came in and said they loved what we were doing. We did that Series A uh, about six months after we did our seed round. And so I think that is not typical of this environment, Brett. I don't, I mean, I know you speak to a ton of people, but for us, I think there's still a lot of money on the street. I think for AI and cyber at a minimum, the fundraising environment is actually pretty good. I think if you're, if you're trying to do your B, C, D rounds right now, it's a little tough. Let's imagine you were starting the company again today from scratch. Based on everything you've learned so far, what would be the number one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Uh, that's a really good question, Brett. You know, look, I think that this innovation environment is so dynamic. So AI, and we'll call it, you know, especially Gen AI right now, is changing so radically that the, it's, it's fundamentally changing business models in real time. So the cycle times are happening so quickly and so differently. So there were some things that, you know, we decided to do early on that I think were informed by the conversations we had with our design partners a couple of years ago that we're modifying now because of obviously the changes in these, in these models. So probably, you know, I wouldn't have made certain decisions because it's changing so radically, right? So today, I probably would look at some additional dynamic AI capabilities that we've had to build over the last six months and the last year that weren't really even in the conversation two years ago. And so, you know, might be, you know, plan for that level of exchange, right? We moved, I mean, Brett, if you think about it, right, we moved from basically a linear innovation environment where AI had penetration rates of about 20% to like an exponential AI penetration rate of 80 to 90% in a six month period. And you're going to see the exponential change now increase, you know, the speed of all of these changes in these business models and every process and every product and service that's delivered. And so we've enabled our capabilities to keep up with that pace. But if you're not building right now to keep up with that, that change in that pace, you're dead. Final question for you. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's the big picture vision that you're building? Yeah. So, you know, we're really interested in, you know, now again, if going back to that kind of exponential growth piece, we haven't really, we're at the beginning of this AI journey, right? So if we think about like recursive engines that are going to continue to change and get better over time, where you've seen some initial pieces of this, like auto GPT the problem solving capabilities are only going to get better. And now we're going to start attaching things like quantum and other, you know, capabilities that we've only really started to see hit the market. And so you're this convergence of both exponential growth and in, in AI tied to, you know, even more power 
I think is going to enable much bigger problem solving, but it's going to create an issue where we're about to run into, you know, even though we expect the productivity gains to outweigh any loss of, you know, employees or business models, I think that that the next three to five years is going to have this massive change. And I think those that really understand it, they start building around it, they really take it and accept it today and start building it into everything that they're doing are going to be in a much better position. I think those that are starting to say that push back on this, and I've heard this over the last couple of years, oh, it's not real, you know, we'll do it later. You know, they're going to have problems, whether that be a loss of jobs or not being able to keep up with their competitors that are driving today. I really do think this is an environment where you've got to get started. And if you don't in three to five years, you're, you know, I think you're going to see business models fail because of it. Wow. Fascinating stuff and a little bit scary, but also sounds like a lot of opportunity there. Jonathan, we are over on time or almost up on time here. So we'll have to wrap before we do. If there's any founders that are listening in and they just want to follow on with your company building journey, where should they go? So look, I tried a lot of different social media platforms. I, I think LinkedIn is the best one right now for me to keep everybody up to date. Uh, I use LinkedIn and I'm on that the most. And if you want to follow along, you know, whether it be me personally or Cranium, or if you want to become a Craniac, come and join us. Uh, obviously our website's a great resource. And I think, you know, we continue to try to put great research out there and we really want people along for the journey that are interested in solving this problem with us. And so please reach out on LinkedIn or reach out, you know, off the website and we'd love to have you involved and, and be an official Craniac. Amazing. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. This has been a lot of fun. Right, thanks so much. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 